Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 79. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce a very unique and special guest, Steve Walker. Steve, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up. Hit it. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Steve Walker is an artist and a former resident artist for the city of Seattle. He draws, he paints, he creates sculptures, illustrates for magazines and children's books, and he's done some writing as well. He also penned a cartoon strip for National Lampoon, and he builds cars, very, very unique cars. He's been featured on the TV show Monster Garage and the Vintage Vehicle Show. The cars Steve builds are not restorations, but his own creations using a vocabulary of recognizable shapes inspired by the racing vehicles he admired as a kid in the 50s. His current studio is called Close Enough Engineering. I love that where he works with his buddy Kim Hall. He started out building prototypes and proof-of-concept models for engineering companies and inventors, and now they build oversized artworks for casinos, shipping their work to Vegas, Detroit, D.C., Austria, Canada, China, Dubai, and the world. You can see examples of their art at their website, CloseEnoughEngineering.com. Visit Cars Yeah! and check out Steve's 1948 Grand Prix truck. On his show notes page, you will not believe your eyes. So, Steve, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a little time and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Let's see. I was about uh, five, I think, when I decided I wanted to be an artist. My father had a book on his shelf that was uh, had these gorgeous engravings in it of. uh, Roman history and Roman mythology, and so I wanted to try to learn how to read. And this, this is when I was about four, and so after I had learned a little bit how to read, and uh, we'd moved, and I had to find the book again, and I dug it out. I couldn't read it. It was Latin. It was a Latin textbook. And oh. I said, what a chip! You know, so uh, <laughs> it occurred to me that uh, not only is a picture worth a thousand words, it's worth a thousand words in multiple languages. Sure. So I kind of set off on a course at that point, at uh, that early state, uh, deciding that I wanted to... Uh, uh, I wanted to be an artist, and in particular, I wanted to be an illustrator, and I applied myself to that. I, I uh, Of course, as a kid, I drew pictures of uh, cars and boats and planes and monsters, and uh, you know, now, uh, uh, I actually, I still draw all the same stuff. I'm dro- still drawing cars and boats and planes and monsters, <laughs> but I'd, I'd like to think I'm doing a better job of it. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So we used to go watch the midget races at the Aurora Speedway when I was uh, when I was little. I know I know my dad wanted to get into racing, and uh, mom was not a fan of that because uh, racing uh, midgets were pretty dangerous in the fifties. Oh yeah. So uh, he decided to go hydroplane racing instead. Oh, I don't gosh. think it occurred to her like that, that that's was safer. Not, <laughs> like that's safer. Yeah. <laughs> 
so um, uh, he bought a set of plans and uh, from Ted Jones, and I think it was actually the last hydroplane that uh, that Ted Jones ever uh, designed. He uh, just announced to us one day that we were going to build a hydroplane, and and so we. Uh, yeah, we started working this thing in the garage, wow. and uh, you know that was to me that was just astonishing. You know, hydro racing was a big deal in the '50s, and I thought, my God, you you can just build it yourself and go racing it. <laughs> so that's what we did. I was about 12 when he first let me drive it, which was absolutely terrifying. Um, it was you a were 12, class hydroplane. 12 years old driving a hydroplane. Yeah, I'm guessing there was no child protective services back then. <laughs> so, uh, wow. uh, you know, I can remember it, it, it actually, uh, I got an older brother. He's a year older than I am. So we were out on Lake Sammamish early in the morning and uh, we got a chase boat with us, a friend of his that were, uh, uh, my dad turned to my brother to, uh, suit him up and he says, uh, Steve can go first. <laughs> He's the smart one, right? So, uh, but I was eager for a chance to do anything before my brother did it first. So I, uh, I jumped right in and and uh, fired this thing up. It was a Pontiac powered, you know, eight hundred horsepower, nine thousand RPM, and uh, oh, you know, all loaded up in a thousand pound hull with a you know seven hundred pound engine. It ran on methanol, which was too cold to start. So the way they you'd start it is uh, by leaning over the engine with a little squirt can of gasoline and squirt it down the injectors. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got the thing to uh, to uh, finally fire, of course, it just threw me back in the seat and stood up on its tail. It's moving down the lake with this big lump of water trapped between the sponsons. And Dad had told me this would happen, and I'd have to uh, work the rudder to get it to pop over the uh, uh, water. Mm-hmm. And uh, So I started sawing the, uh, the steering wheel back and forth. And when it pops over, you know, I've, I've been doing about, uh, I was probably doing 25 or 30 with the boat stand on its tail. It's that old clamshell style hydro. It was before the pickle forks. So I couldn't see a thing. And then when it pops over, it shifts from um, uh, hydrodynamic to aerodynamic resistance with the same horsepower and just takes off. And so this thing is accelerating enormously. And the only thing I'd ever driven before that was a wooden go-kart my brother and I built with a oh lawnmower engine. So this was quite a shock. I'm terrified of this thing. If it's just hurtling on the lake, probably a jump to about 80. There's no interim speed in there for the, for the way the hole's designed. And I suddenly realized I didn't have my foot on the throttle. This was idle. And oh, uh, as, as the panic starts creeping over me, I was pissed. I, I think, my God, I've worked on this thing for four years, and I'm terrified of idle. You know, I, I, it was just totally unacceptable. So before I got a chance to be any more frightened by it, uh, I floored it. I stomped on the pedal and uh, figured I'd, I'd rather be terrified at top end. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it took me the length of the lake to uh, figure out how to uh, control it and, you know, get that turkey a little bit comfortable. And then, uh, you know, then it was quite a thrill. I'll bet. Indoctrination by fire. How did you progress your artistic side after you became a a hydroplane racer? Yeah, right. Well, I never actually raced them. I got to drive it a few times, but, uh, you know, that's that's thrill enough without dodging other boats. Oh, gosh, yeah. I studied art in college at the University of Washington. I studied with Jacob Lawrence, and I got to use the foundry and learn how to cast uh, things. And it was already showing in galleries before I got out of high school. So it it was, uh, you know, I was just selling paintings and drawings and watercolors. And uh, there was a gallery down in Pioneer Square, and I moved down there and and, uh, moved into the building where the gallery was and had a little apartment and uh, became their best-selling artist. And then I moved to New York to pursue a career as an illustrator and uh, started working with Lampoon and some of the other magazines there. Eventually, I was, I'd come back to Seattle to uh, visit my folks for Christmas, and there was a uh, Civil Arts Commission. had a program for a resident artist, and I applied to it and won the grant. Ended up staying in Seattle. I've been doing you know, murals and paintings and advertising and, and such ever since. 
since I start, set up the studio, my most recent studio, uh, Close Enough Engineering, uh, which was 98, that's when I opened it up, been able to do just the artwork, which is uh, a real pleasure to finally gotten to the point in my life where, uh, where I'm just doing artwork, and I, and I really uh, really feel grateful about that. It's, uh, yeah, I stuck it out and made it far enough to uh, be able to live as an artist. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And let's talk just a, a little bit here about these automotive creations, because this is Cars Yeah!, and we're all about automotive enthusiasts, which I know you are an automotive enthusiast. Can you touch on where this, uh, I'm not even sure how to describe what it is that that you've created, but the 48 truck, why don't you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> okay. Now, that's actually the most recent one I've built. Um, it's a Grand Prix truck. And uh, I, had this, I had this idea, and uh, I started building a car. I had done a watercolor. A friend thought it was pretty cool, and let's let's do it. A couple of buddies and I started it together. Unfortunately, one died, and and the other one um, moved away. So it was like, okay, well, I'm I'm going to finish it. It's too cool not to uh, not to complete. The concept was a uh, was a racing truck, uh, and specifically uh, for uh, Grand Prix truck racing, which uh, uh, I made up a fake history for it, as though uh, after the Second World War. Uh, war surplus trucks were uh, uh, used to race on uh, the troop transport, which uh, Alaskan Highway, Burma Road, Trans Sahara, Trans Siberia. So there'd be this sport of uh, long distance truck racing. Mm-hmm. I made up this little fake history and I put it on the seat of the car. And, and when I go to uh, car shows and, and people read it, most of them read it and, and have a laugh. But uh, some people, you know, I'll get a response. Somebody walked up to me one day and started telling me that they're. Uh, their great uncle had competed in the Grand Prix truck races. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I was at a car show where they uh, they gave me the trophy for best survivor, and then afterwards the judges were asking me about the Grand Prix truck races, and I had to tell them, like, you know, come on, you guys, you, you're car experts. You've never seen photos. You've never read about it. you got to know I just made that up. So uh, <laughs> they started laughing, fortunately. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I told them, I'm, I'm keeping the trophy. I earned it. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it is a more plausible story than unlimited hydro racing. You know, that's preposterous. Especially so, uh, a 12-year-old sitting in a boat taking taking one of those out. Yeah. Wow. Well, they're very cool. And at the end of the interview here, we'll tell everybody again how to go onto your website and see some of these creations. But as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And this is a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Steve, take the wheel. Okay. Well, uh, I think one of the best quotes I ever heard was, um, uh, do what you can with what you have where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of guys who, uh, you know, they, they wait until they got the perfect engine or, or they're searching for the perfect uh, uh, pieces to put together for something they want, uh, you know, a dream they've got uh, somewhere off. And, and really what I do is uh, I start working with whatever i got in the shop. I'll, I'll get to a point where I've got enough crap uh, laying around my garage. I, I'm thinking it must have hit critical mass. Surely there's a car in here if I just sweep it all together. <laughs> and uh, and then for running parts, I almost always end up cutting up whatever I've got for a work van for, uh, for suspension and, uh, and uh, powertrain. Wow. Well, that is really cool. And I love that concept and how you've incorporated that into these amazing vehicles. And I've seen one of your, your trucks, the 48. I saw that thing in person. And when I walked up to it, you just stand there and go, did I shrink? What, what happened? <laughs> Could you share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars? We heard about the the amazing story with your father and the hydroplane, but could you tell us about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? 
Well, I, I, I don't know exactly where. I mean, I, I like going to the uh, midget races, and uh, part of the thing with that Grand Prix truck is if there's midgets, I was thinking there should also be giants. Mm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. That's why it's got, it's got proportions and shape to it as though it's a midget, but it's a different scale. And I had I, I love going to the vintage car races, but even the uh, you know the old Formula car races I attended in the 60s and 70s, as I kind of walked through and looked at the suspension and the way the uh, frame was together, uh, went together, I, I thought, you know, I can do this. This is... Uh, this is within my uh, my grasp, my understanding, and and uh, although I had no skills at that point, and and uh, when I started building my first street car, uh, I owned a, a hacksaw and a half round file, mm-hmm. and, and I just determined to build a car, and I and I had a a wrecked Alfa Romeo. Um, I was the guy that wrecked it, <laughs> and I thought, well, this is a pretty cool set of parts, so uh, I sawed it up and and uh, designed a frame around it, and uh, and like I say, I, I had a, no power tools, just a, a round file and a and a hacksaw, and I started banging out these, uh, this, uh, you know, round uh, tube uh, space frame. Um, I read some books. I read the uh, Cost and Skips book, uh, Sports Car uh, Chassis Design, mm-hmm. based what I was doing on that. And I mimicked, uh, they had worked for Lotus, so I mimicked the uh, uh, Lotus front end layout with uh, Triumph parts. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm hard pressed to say that there was an aha moment that got me going on it. I just was determined to do it, and it had been, you know, boiling in my brain a while. And uh, even though I didn't have a shop space or uh, anything to work with, uh, I wanted to make it happen. I, I knew I couldn't buy a Formula car or, uh, or even a, uh, any, any of the race cars I was admiring. They were way beyond my pocketbook, but I thought I could build one. So that's that's what I did. Well, that's so cool, and I love how that incorporates back into your success quote, just make do with what you have. And that's exactly what you did. So, Steve, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and really crawl under the hood here and, and maybe get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career that maybe it pushed you to the breaking point. But more importantly, share with us how you overcame that situation and, and what you learned from it. Well, well, yeah, well, I've learned a lot. I uh, had no idea what I was getting into. It would be a common theme in my life. So I took this, I, I bought the Alfa Romeo off a uh, used car lot. So when I started working on it and taking it apart, I had no idea. How to, it's a fairly complex little engine. Just open it up and get into it and see, see what there is. <laughs> you know, it was twin, twin overhead cam, and it was fairly close tolerances all the way through. And, what what uh, model Alfa was it? It was a 58 Veloci. Oh, okay. Cool. And, that puts uh, a under- good picture in my mind. <laughs> The, you know, the little spider, but uh, I paid 800 bucks for it, and so I didn't think it was particularly valuable. To me, it was just couldn't afford an Offenhauser, but here's a four-cylinder alloy engine, four-banger, similar layout. Uh, I ended up learning the engine. I mean, that wasn't my intention at the beginning, but now I'm actually pretty good at rebuilding an Alpha engine, although that's the only one I've been doing it to consistently do. <laughs> the beginning it was a very daunting task, and tons of people along the way, uh, Keith Magnuson at Rally Round, who helped me out with it, Ralph Gent and uh, Frank Spicer were both prominent uh, alpha mechanics, and they got intrigued with what I was doing and, uh, and gave me tips, but I had to learn it myself. Sure, so, sure. Well, otherwise, it wasn't going to happen. I would assume then the lesson learned from that challenge of, of tackling something you'd never done is, it goes back to your success quote, just do it. Just start doing yeah. it and learn along the way, right? And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how to weld uh, when I started either, or braze or anything. I, I had friends uh, show me how to do it. Eventually, I had an auction at Settling Bottle for uh, you know putting it together, and uh, that was it. And I just played with the gauges till I got till I was getting results that were satisfactory. And eventually, uh, uh, I got very good at brazing. Good. Um, brazing was a technique I used on the lightweight vehicles. Well, Steve, let's shift gears here and go the other end of the spectrum and share with us a story when you had. Uh, perhaps another aha moment in your business, your career, 
and tell us what you did about that aha moment and what steps you took to turn that into a success. Yeah, actually, um, I was approached by a guy who uh, was vice president of an engineering company. He had been seeing my vehicles at car shows, and he uh, uh, asked me if I could uh, run a prototype fabricating facility for him. Uh, they didn't have one with their, engineering, with their engineering company. So we came to agreement, and he hired me, and they gave me a cubicle and an office tower, and I said, oh, I can't work here. Mm-hmm. So I had to go locate a shop. And that was what I did. I went to, uh, I found a, a warehouse space that I leased. And, the, and I, so I built products for them for uh, about a year and a half, but they, uh, they kind of dot-com. Uh, that was uh, in the mid-90s, you know, late-90s, and they, were, uh, they kind of bet the farm on some jobs they shouldn't have, and the company was going under. And they, uh, there was a point there where they couldn't make payroll, and I worked for them for about two months and uh, trying to help them get around the corner and then just said, that's as far as I can go for you without a paycheck. So. Yeah. So then I'm out looking for jobs, and then, and unfortunately at that point I'm I'm uh, you know pushing fifty. The personnel directors I'm talking to are twenty years younger than me or more. <laughs> yes, and uh, I'm not getting job offers, but every now and then run into companies that would uh, interview me and then say, well, we're not going to hire you, but as long as you're here, can you build us one of these? Mm. And after about three of those, I realized, well, I do have an option here. I can be self-employed, I, and so I started. Uh, uh, taking in orders and uh, and uh, custom building projects for people, uh, inventors and speculative companies. They did a whole bunch of really interesting projects, and they picked up a superb partner at that time, which is uh, Kim Hall. He's uh, he's an artist with a degree in engineering, and he works part-time as a uh, aviation consultant. Kim was able to find some uh, casino projects where they were looking for somebody to bid on something like a 45-foot-tall tulip or a 24-foot butterfly or something. Can you build this, and how much does it cost? So we're kind of in the position of having to pitch a price on something that nobody's ever built before mm-hmm. and uh, not hurt ourselves doing it. And, of course, we've got to make good on the, uh, the bid and the timeline. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's, that's paramount. You don't miss deadline. You deliver for what you said you were going to do. Uh, that's what we do. Oh, that's awesome. What a great story how something that uh, was traumatic as a job loss, the company going under and not finding a- another job and then spinning it into a new career and – a, a real entrepreneurial moment. So I love that. Stories like that are wonderful. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And maybe you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. The Alpha was a pretty special car. When I when I picked that up, I, I was a junior in college, and, and um, I looked at a couple of sports cars. There was a the, the Alpha was like 800 bucks, and another car lot nearby was a mid-60s uh, XKE for 1200 I, I went for the Alpha, and, and uh, I didn't know anything about them, you know. And I had my dad looked at that and said, uh, you know, you're going to learn a lot about Alfa Romeos. <laughs> yeah, he, he was dying right. cars. So, uh, he had me there. So I hung on to that one, and, and uh, I still own it, uh, although it doesn't look anything like it did when I bought it. <laughs> it was a very elaborate project when I got into it, but I you know, managed to stick it out and get it done. Oh, that sounds fantastic. It's really cool that you still own it as well. That's neat. How about Seller's Remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you sold that you really wish you could have back? Oh, there is, actually. Uh, uh, the first car I ever bought just out of high school was a 50 Buick Roadmaster. It had the four holes down the Oh, yeah. Foot. You know, mm-hmm. and and that uh, beetle-shaped fastback, and uh, I paid $70 for it, and <laughs> oh uh, it was worth every penny, you know, so <laughs> you can imagine what that car was like, but uh, I like the architecture of the straight-eight engine. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I'd hung on to that one. At the time, that $70 car seemed like disposable cars, but that was another era of, you know, the cars we went through and through way back then are uh, worth a lot more now. Oh, yeah. I think... Uh, 
I think if I'd actually saved it till now, it might be worth almost as much as I would have paid for storage. <laughs> Maybe so, but they are beautiful. The design of those vehicles are spectacular, and I can see your brain spinning and your creative mind spinning when you look at that shape of what you could do with it. Oh, yeah. Is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, you, you know, i got a bunch of them, actually. Uh, you know, one thing, uh, I, I'd like to find a straight-eight Buick and, and uh, build a hot rod with that long hood and, uh, you know, eight pipes coming out the side. I think that'd be lovely. I was thinking, uh, because I, I do graphics, I haven't done a book in a while, I'd like to do uh, a program for the 48 Grand Prix uh, truck races, you know, illustrate that out. I can imagine what the program would look like, what the ads would be, uh, what the various uh, cars uh, laid out in it, much like the hydro programs from the 50s. Oh, that sounds like that fun. That would be a fun one. Oh, yeah. And I've been, building, uh, I've been building trophies for the last couple of years. I built some trophies for an art car show uh, at the uh, Fremont Solstice Fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. They were doing it as, as a fundraiser. They wanted people to buy ballots to vote on the art cars that were there. So they had, there's going to be five trophies, and they asked me to build them. So I made them 120-volt uh, trophies. They had, I had can opener motors and such, in them, and they'd spin and flap and buzz and light up. Wow. And uh, as you as you would walk down, and, and they'd have momentary switches, so you'd have to push the switch to get it to work. And the first one is best painted, and paintbrushes spin, and the next one is best execution of the of the theme, and a little blower inside blows uh, streamers. And the next one would be um, best sculpted and had a uh, chisel banging a rock. And then the last one you would come to would be uh, you know the fifth one was creepiest car. That was one of the trophies. <laughs> so I had a I had a skull nestled in some. Uh, polymer spikes with uh, LEDs in the uh, uh, eye sockets that are changing color, and having hit the other four trophies, you'd push the button on this one, and it had a five-gallon water bucket under the table with a uh, aquarium pump inside it, and it spit on you through the uh, teeth of the skull. <laughs> oh my and of gosh. course, the first, the first guy that did this to himself <laughs> immediately goes and gets all his buddies to bring him over, because he doesn't yeah. want to be the only fool. Oh, yeah. Hey, and, push this button. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, which is what happened. So they made a pile of money off the trophies, and that was fun. Oh, and uh, then I started making my own trophies and taking them to car shows with me, too, which uh, sometimes is, I guess, could be a little offensive, but uh, it just uh, another addition to have to have trophies that went with the, uh, the ancient truck. Of course. Yeah, I like that. That's great. So, Steve, now we're at the last lap. The white flag's out, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready to go? I am. All right. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, uh, if you get something you're trying to fix on a car, um, uh, list the candidates for what could be the problem, and uh, or, and then arrange them uh, cheapest and easiest at the top, and uh, most difficult and most expensive at the bottom, and start with the easy ones. If you replace a computer or some such, and it turns out to have been an ignition switch, yep. you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> That's great advice. I like that. And many times it is the simplest things. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I, I think just uh, recognizing that when you're doing a job for somebody, um, the customer that you're that is the important thing, that you're uh, you're trying to help them with their dream. You're not trying to sell them yours, and hmm. uh, doesn't matter what other skills or ideas you might have. You need to focus on what they're up to, and then you always have to be uh, on time and under budget. That's not uh, that can't be a variable. That's uh, great advice, and especially for young entrepreneurs, and especially for creative people who sometimes are creating for their own eye, their own taste, realizing that this is a, a project for someone else. Um, that's great advice. I like that. 
Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you go to often, or maybe it's an app you use on your phone. This is kind of generic. I didn't realize uh, this was available until I was working on my wife's uh, car, and I couldn't figure out where uh, a mounting bracket was to get out, uh, to change a belt, change an alternator, whatever I was working on. And so uh, kind of in frustration, I, uh, I went in and punched it up in the computer. I just, you know, put the make and model in and what I was trying to do. And here comes up a five-minute video of the guy <laughs> posted, uh, here's what's going on, and here's the bolt that you can't see that's on the back of the thing that you're not finding, and uh, solved it for me. And uh, the, the availability of that kind of information and little videos that people post out there is fabulous. Oh, yeah. YouTube um, has become one of my best friends. So, uh, yeah, and uh, just you know, I I don't know where you're, you what you Tacoma, uh, Gig Harbor, Washington. Oh, okay, Gig Harbor. Uh, well, I'm in Seattle, and uh, you know, here in Seattle, uh, the machine shop I favor as far as anybody looking for car parts is is uh, Action Machine. They're they're a, a very good resource. They're downstairs from the Baxter Auto Parts store on about 165th and Aurora. Oh, okay. And uh, so the, so the guys who are behind the counter are probably the most knowledgeable of the behind the counter guys I run into at. At, uh, carport oh, great. Well, we'll make sure that we post these references up on your show notes page. And I'll remind our listeners, you just go to carsyeah.com slash Steve Walker. And his show notes page will pop up and links to all these great references can be shared there. Is there a book that you've recently read, Steve, that you really enjoyed? Oh, geez, a bunch of them. I, I, here's one of my hobbies. I I browse bookstores and collect books, and my the inside of my house looks like a secondhand bookstore. I've built bookshelves <laughs> in all the rooms, and they're just lined with them. They're crammed with books, uh, and I've got a lot of great automotive books. But one of the best ones I've seen uh, came out about a year ago, and that is uh, the old Carnet book. Are oh, you familiar with that? I think. Yeah, David Dickinson. David yeah, Dickinson. What a brilliant concept. He he. Uh, he started haranguing people. I was one of the guys who was haranguing at car shows to write stories, and he built a website. He did an enormous amount of work, uh, theoldcarnetbook.com, where you can read these stories and mm-hmm. you can add your own. And then uh, a year ago, he sifted a bunch of them out and published a book that you can get through Amazon, and it's, uh, I think it's under 15 bucks. It's very reasonable. But about six weeks ago, he came out with book two, and, and more of the same, and it's just a fabulous book. You can crack open any place and uh, meet old car guys. And, some of the guys that wrote the stories aren't around anymore, so I'm very grateful that he uh, collected them. I and, love uh, his books, and I had David on the show a couple of weeks ago, so uh, you can go back into the archives with Cars yeah, and listen to my interview with him. And he's writing a new book right now about journeys, and he's asked me to uh, pen a uh, story that I have for him, a trip that I took with my son when I bought a little Beck Spider and we... We flew down to Long Beach, California, and spent five days driving it up the coast. So hopefully I, I do a good job, and uh, I'll get to be in his next book like you were in, in one of his past books. But that's a great reference. I look forward to reading your story. And uh... <laughs> Well, I'm working on it right now. So do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? Obviously, art is one of them, but anything else that you do that's unique and different? Uh, well, I guess everything I do is a hobby until I sell it. Um <laughs> Uh, I like I like building models too, and uh, because I can't, you know, I need something smaller scale. I'm running out of garage space after a while. So, uh, and generally, when I buy a kit, if I if I buy a kit, uh, I look on that as uh, a nice box of material. You know, mm. I mean, I don't I don't follow the directions. I start making something else right away. You know, you're a typical guy. We none of us follow the directions. Well, we don't need no stinking directions. <laughs> I used to do the same thing when I was a kid with model cars. I'd buy three boxes and build one car out of those three. So. Uh, maybe I had a little bit of Steve Walker inside me. Who knows? <laughs> That's great. I love it. So, Steve, we're up to the checkered flag. That means this is the last question. 
actually second to the last question, but this can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, but money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you want, but you've got to keep it. What would that vehicle be and why? One car. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. That's a hard one. I, I know. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking of all the all, all the single-seaters I love, like the you know, you know the Maseratis and the Curtis Crafts and the uh, A.J. Watsons and whatever, but I should, I should select a two-seater and... Um, I'm thinking uh, uh, the uh, '66 uh, Jaguar uh, XJ13 would be a, would be a superb car. Uh, oh, the one of a kind. Oh you know, yeah, that makes it very collectible. Uh, yeah. Yes, I think so. You know, I got to see that car on the lawn at Pebble Beach when they oh, re- when they restored it and brought it out here. You know, after years, it spent wadded up in a ball in the back of a room somewhere after that terrible test driving crash that had happened, but. Uh, that is a spectacular car. What is it about that car that just pulls on your heartstrings? Well, you know, a V12, a mid-engine, you can't go wrong with that. Sure. And uh, But that's got to be about as swoopy a car as Jaguar ever designed, and they designed a bunch of swoopy-looking cars. I, I, it's really a lovely vehicle. It is. I have a beautiful model of that vehicle because I'll never own the real one, of course, but uh, I look <laughs> at it and I just go, wow, that's just incredible. In fact, I saw a replica that had been made of one of those uh, when I was at a vintage race one back back east and uh, they did a pretty good job with it but uh, not quite the same as the original so great choice well Steve you've taken us on a great ride today and I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you and thank you for sharing your journey with us would you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Jaguar <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah. So uh, don't wait to uh, get on your dreams. Don't uh, don't postpone them until uh, to retirement. You uh, you might as well do them right now. Oh yes, that's great advice. Do it now. And I'll let our listeners know again. You can go to Steve's show notes page and see everything that we talked about here. And you can see this amazing truck. I've got it posted up there. And then of course you can find his uh, website. And why don't you remind our listeners again how they can find you directly? What is your website? Uh, my website is uh, CloseEnoughEngineering.com. And do you have a Facebook page, too? Uh, I do. Uh, there is a Close Enough Engineering Facebook page and, and uh, you know, also myself, Steve Walker. Okay, great. Well, again, check out what Steve's up to because you'll just be amazed. It's just spectacular. I want to thank you, Steve, for being so generous with your time today, your expertise, and sharing your story and your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.